0: Welcome to Across the Pond, Marketing Transformed, a podcast that explores ways to transform your business and marketing strategy, whether you are a rising star, entrepreneur, or experienced professional. A show packed with stories to inspire success and build a growth mindset for you and your company. Featuring global brand CMOs, transformation experts, and business founders, your co-hosts, Chris Lawson in London, UK, and Samuel Moni, Across the Pond
1: in Philadelphia, USA. Welcome to episode 25 of Across the Pond, Marketing Transformed. My name's Samuel Moni. I'm in Philadelphia on the east coast of the US, and I'm joined by Chris Lawson in London, UK. Say hi, Chris. Hey, Sam. How are you doing? Doing great, sir. It's been a good week, a positive week, some downs and a lot of ups. So overall, I'm winning this week, I think.
0: Excellent. Well, as long as there's more ups and downs, that's all you can ask for, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think so. The mindset I'm applying here. And I think let's get into it. In this week's show, we're going to talk about startups and which ones stand out for us, what makes a serial entrepreneur, some stories of success, entrepreneurial successes, and how that informs the approach to marketing transformation. We'll also give some tips on bootstrapping and that we've learned and things that we do again, or perhaps things we do differently. Mm. The word startup conjures up an abundance of companies and brands that continue to transform our lives across industries, across sectors, in the delivery space, cannabis, real estate, in direct-to-consumer brands. You can think of it as the Airbnbs, the Grubhub, or I think in the UK, probably a brand better known as Just Eat, Impossible Foods, there's a company called Away, which is over a billion dollars in the luggage space. <laughs> but. But many of these startups are facing some headwinds, and the most famous of them, the Unicorns, companies which are valued above a billion dollars or more by private investors have fallen flat on Wall Street to some degree. The Uber, Slack, and recently Casper, Sleeper, are a few obvious ones that come to mind. Uh, we'll talk more later about what's going on here, but a starting point is to wade into the debate of what actually turns a startup into a scale-up. Simply put, startups and scale ups are at different levels of growth and likely different levels of funding. So typically startups will have seed funding or series a funding or or no funding at all, tweaking their proposition and product and acquisition approaches and they're bootstrappy if if that's the word. Nice word like that. Thank you sir. I I, I probably haven't invented that. But <laughs> they could pivot and evolve their business models they look to establish themselves. So that's what a startup is. And from a scale up perspective, there there's been significant improvement beyond the the MVP and the sort of the, the medium minimum viable product. And they've got more credibility in the market. They've got more confidence in the leadership, or at least the market has a bit more confidence and credibility, and they're getting more funding and are seen as scalable. There's a brand right now, uh, as we're recording this, called Liquid Death that's heading towards the scale-up f- phase. They've sc- secured $9 million of Series A funding. And to be honest, there's really a bit of negativity and a positive buzz as well at the same time that a canned water brand can get the support that many other businesses, perhaps with a worthy mission or a more innovative proposition, c- cannot get that kind of funding. But it's still been reported that they've got distribution in Whole Foods, and so they're on a bit of a roll right now. But I'm I'm speaking in broad terms there, Chris. So can you poke holes in that? I'm not sure if there's a single definition out there, right? Yeah, look, I I think that's
0: that's a great starting point. I mean, in broad terms, a startup's a company that is in its early stages of development, Tends to be small, initially financed by a handful of founders or individuals. And then the scale up phase is the, the next phase where it goes after successfully seeing an annual growth of at least about 20% over the first two or three years and mm-hmm. tends to be when they're looking for um, future funding. So basically, a high growth company. Um, what I think is more interesting, other than the definition, is that um, a lot of this changes about personality. Yeah. How do, how do you move from being in that position where you're the owner, the person that mm-hmm. might um, look at the budgets, do the marketing, and take the bins out or garbage mm-hmm. out for our US listeners? Did I get him first? Um, yes, trash garbage, trash yep. garbage. Yeah, and you're the beating heart of a brand who's been there from day one, and then you move into Scale up phase. You've you've got the cash. You've got the investment, and your first job is how do you share that? How do you let other people take the brand mm-hmm. forward? How do you answer to someone else who's um, you're accountable to because you're looking for investment and do marketing your own way um and then to your point about canned water sam mm-hmm. how do you do this without being sucked into the hype um how do you make sure you don't get carried away with the big check um the job is actually to spend the money wisely and not drink your own celebrity status or popularity or canned water for that matter
1: <laughs> well as we bring this back i one of the things i think we do on the show well is to make it more personal and as we think about startups from a personal experience, my wife and I actually took the step. Well, to be honest, she was a driving force, my wife, Lydia, to open a women's plus sized apparel business in 2009 called Boutique LaRue, which was a physical and an online retailer based in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where the physical store was located. The catalyst for the business was to meet the needs of women who wore sizes 12 to 24. And did you know, Chris, that 68% of women in America are sized 14 or above. But at the time, you rarely see a plus size mannequin in a store or as you walk by or even the clothes were not as easy to find as they they should be well i didn't know that sam
0: is is that a growing trend
1: (laughs) yeah well in terms of the market size yeah absolutely The there's just an overall uh, the fact and reality that women are different sizes and they actually vary between sizes but the market if you look at the the average person starts from 14 and above um, for the majority of, of American women. And we had a good run for the business. We ran it for about five years, but after that period we decided to close because the path to growth was gonna take longer Uh, longer-term play than we wanted to take. So we made the call to step out of that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's always a difficult point, isn't it, at that stage? Just, again, that scale-up stage, 29% of small businesses fail because they run out of cash. And Mm. in the UK, only one in five businesses make it in the first year. And out of the one that... Um, manages to make it through to the second year only one in five of those make it to the third year as well so so getting established getting past five years is 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 uh well getting to five years is a great achievement in itself i think sam
1: yeah so now for me there's a there's a great opportunity to bring that experience back into into organizations and company from a entrepreneurship. Perspective, which was a natural pivot. But if we go back to those days, it was such a formative experience. And I can empathize with all the founders and entrepreneurs out there with some of the most fundamental barriers that we faced as a small business was funding related, basically. Mm. Getting startup cash is really, really tough. We both, at the time, my wife and I, Lydia, we both had solid incomes and we had a great 50-page business plan that impressed all the banks we approached, but the banks were only willing to offer credit cards or loans secured by hefty amounts of cash. So it wasn't really helpful and it was actually rather frustrating. I've heard too many stories of the challenges women and people of color actually face in this space, but it was all very real and somewhat disheartening. But Lydia is and remains at the time was a dynamo and she was determined to to leverage and find solutions and so we took advantage of a couple of platforms called lending club and prosper and those were the peer two key peer-to-peer lending organizations at the time mm. in fact prosper launched in 2005 as a first of this kind and we launched in 2009 so it wasn't long after they'd, they'd been established mm. we posted the business story and our credit scores and we got lenders to fund about 40 percent of the loan the day we posted the request, and less than two weeks later, we'd filled the entire amount that we needed of twenty-five thousand. The shocking but inspiring truth was, three banks said no, but six hundred perfect strangers said yes, <laughs> from twenty-five to five hundred dollars each. So I guess I've really had a vested interest in the fintech startup space because they've worked for me when the status quo and the incumbents didn't. Yeah, I mean that's a
0: that's a great story. It's really powerful and and. All the more so in terms of the fact that it's, it's your story as well. It's crazy to think about 600 strangers versus your personal relationship with banks that you've been loyal to for years, isn't it? It just, again, shows how an industry has been disrupted by mm-hmm. providing sort of an investment in from a crowdsourcing perspective. And, and we talked about some of those success stories last week as well. And, mm-hmm. and it's good to have that personal experience as I think it helps you to empathize properly. Certainly yeah, something that absolutely. comes up. From from entrepreneurs as a as an important part in terms of what what's there. So definitely some takeaways you can share
1: right now, I'd imagine, Sam. What would be yeah. your highlights? Yeah, I can think of three things that are immediate st- takeaways if I'm thinking about startups. I have an unwavering belief that the power of the crowd is usually greater than that of the individual or the individual institution. Try your ideas out on an audience of tastemakers and not just one gatekeeper. So that's the first thing. The other thing I'd say, It can actually be faster, easier and more transparent to raise money from who and what are in essence strangers than the traditional financial institutions. So really shift your mindset to see that potential. Prosper has facilitated loans to, I think, $16 billion to over a million people. And I'm so inspired by the pathfinders out there looking out for people of color and LGBTQ and other minority groups. For example, the work of a a woman called Ariane Hamilton at Backstage Capital. When I go to that website for Backstage Capital, I see an abundance of people who they've invested in that kind of look like me, which is inspiring. Mm. So then a third thing I'd say is set your exit plan from the outset. As you, you're perhaps Googling Boutique La Rue right now, right now, it's, it's not around. As um, five years in, we thought, okay, we're going to have to close because scaling up was going to be a, a challenge that we weren't ready and able to face. And so for me, it's important to have that exit plan determined upfront so that you're not making an emotional decision at the time. You've actually planned and accounted for it.
0: Yeah, that that's a really good point about exit plan. I think uh you know, knowing knowing for you what the objective point is, I think just takes some of the emotion out of it, doesn't it? But mm-hmm. we, we come back to that point about that tough stage as you move from startup to scale up. Um, and it'd be good to see from your example how many of these you think you've nailed, Sam. This is uh, uh, coming from sort of research with entrepreneurs and, mm-hmm. and what they think is important. And, and to be more likely for success, you need to ensure your business is built on a solid foundation. Mm-hmm. I think I think you've got that one sorted you need to be clear on what your goals are values are and aim for those well we've we've talked yep. many episodes around that haven't we yeah need yep. to choose an industry you have an interest in and are passionate about yeah I'm going to say that one's definitely yes. Um, and you have to make sure that there's room need for your products or services on the market. I think that, that mannequin example is a good one, Sam, from that perspective. But, but interestingly, according to some research done by an uh, organisation called CB Insights, but it's, it's similar to what I've seen before, out of 101 small businesses that closed down, they found that 42% shut down mm. because there was no market need for their products or services and that that feels to me like a staggering amount really
1: yeah that's that's a huge number that's quite almost half basically right
0: and that's not just about digital businesses I think you know one of the things that we pride ourselves is talking about market product fit, um, understanding your customers, looking at the trends, and and if you take that stat at red, it doesn't matter how much we're talking about it. There's a lot of people out there not doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know where I live, Sam. As you came the other couple, last couple of weeks, um, I live on a the road. There's a pub, a deli, a coffee house, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Thai restaurant, Indian restaurant, takeaway. Um an empty shop premises and a um, pizza place and mm-hmm. now now, every year a new owner comes in and takes the new uh, the empty shop premises uh place mm-hmm. absolutely takes mm-hmm. it now a simple piece of customer research would give you a really clear idea that the pizza place is always an absolutely full the mm-hmm. pub is always an absolutely full. Come weekends, the coffee shop and the deli are full. And actually, the, the the Thai restaurant and the Indian restaurant are doing a sort of passing trade, but need to um, look like they're surviving by the amount of um, moped um, drivers outside. So pretty much for takeaway business. So then why do I find that actually over the last three people that have been in their premises, two have tried to set up a Thai restaurant or a curry restaurant? right next door mm. to something that's failing and and you do look at it that actually unless you've got very deep pockets or a superior product that if the market environment is harsh then you're you're not going to be there i then the second thing that strikes me without picking up picking on um, this these poor restaurants that i've tried to have gone up in my street is that mm. after no customers for six months i would want to try and adapt Yet 14% of small businesses mm. fail because they ignore their customer needs. Um, and I think the same applies whether you're working on a SaaS product, a service, or whether you're a retailer. You need to make sure that you focus on those customers, and the ones that don't are the ones that so often fail. So to be successful mm. in the market, you have to deliver to consumers what they want and need, and you have to adapt. I mean to be fair, I'm sounding like a broken record because it's uh, something we've talked about many times before. But if you're doing something as
1: important as launching a new venture, you've yeah. got to do your homework. Chris, when I think of some startups in the marketplace that build on on the examples you said of actually being able to scale up and actually to, to succeed, I can see from a marketing and a consumer hat, the brand called Peloton. They were founded in 2012 and they actually launched through Kickstarter. So they used that crowdsourcing model and they've IPO'd as an $8 billion company now in terms of market capitalization. Now I know their IPO has been somewhat well received, but it's a brand in the health and wellness space, which is a clear market that they've understood. They've differentiated their proposition. And they've got this subscription-based model, and they've continued to scale that. They've currently, I believe, only in the US, UK, Canada, and Germany. So they're not the global brand as of yet. But it Actually got the backing of my, of my wife Lydia, and I bought her a Peloton bike almost three years ago. And before you judge me, she was really pleased with it. She's <laughs> a cyclist and has all the gear, so I wasn't sending subliminal s- signals or anything. Was, was actually something she wanted, and she she really appreciates the sort of the training aspects and the instruction that comes with Peloton. And there's a few reasons I picked them. Firstly, the way they actually tackled the industry by creating IP intellectual property and a proposition that was unique, high quality, and with a brand that felt modern and contemporary, and versus the incumbents out there. And yes, they got me. To spend over like two thousand dollars, which is a lot of a lot of money. It is. Uh they they also I think did a really good job of blending the direct consumer and the showroom experience, so you could actually mm. go feel and touch the product and get that personal experience and get the delivery when it when a bike was delivered and the installation. And also, they they from the get go, they really did a fabulous job of integrating music and the DJs and the interactivity. Really, really, and the performances of the DJs were isn't an essential part of the experience, as well as the engagement of the instructors. As getting a shout out from one of the instructors such a huge morale booster and a motivator. But you know they've facing a few headwinds because, uh, you know, national music publishers have, have got involved and they perhaps weren't paying as much as they should be for the, for the rights there. But look, uh, and my, actually my wife picked up on, on that shift and I'm curious to know the impact of consumer sentiment but you know what Chris one thing that really caught my eye about them was that they consistently been shouting about their net promoter scores consistently scoring between 80 to 90 points which is truly remarkable they're in the same league as the apples of this world through offering 90 plus live classes on demand classes and branching out into yoga and other things so that's a really strong brand doing well
0: yeah well at a 2,000 pounds price point anyone that can create about hype around a £2,000 price point gets my vote. Sam and, uh, and a nice generous present as well, that, that sounds great I'm looking forward Thank to my birthday myself. coming round. <laughs> uh, yeah exactly,
1: no, I'm not married to you Chris so <laughs> you're not going to get this.
0: Yeah, But what, what really interests me is that if you peel it right back, this is not launched with a, an initial multi million pound campaign it uses a lot of the best practice that we've talked about from previous shows and bootstraps as well. Um, let's start with the obvious, it's an exercise bike it's not a new idea um, did you know Sam, the first exercise bike date. Back to 1796, oh, wow. which is uh, wow. pretty amazing. Um, but they brought a community element to an activity that was normally done on your own. Again, disruption, as we talked about before. Certainly, that power of community, very powerful there. Recycling, excuse the mm-hmm. pun, old ideas. And mm-hmm. they blended personalization, supreme customer experience, and content, probably with a bit of touch of AI around that uh, personalization as well. So, mm. all of the themes that we've talked about in terms of like how to get ahead uh clearly have done that but now a vast majority of what they do comes from direct search or that organic um effect as the name spreads 86 percent of all of the the traffic is organic as and Mm. an mps as you say of over 80s and 90s yeah yeah
1: so are you also a peloton user then sam Oh, hell no. But I am an admirer of them from afar, and I respect the brand, Chris. I recall a story from 2014 of how they actually realized the impact of digital conversion. They were targeting desktop only uh, as the strategy, and they ran a Facebook campaign, but they actually accidentally included mobile in this. Uh, And when they got the data back, they thought it was wrong, because most of the impressions were on mobile. I think it was around 15% of purchases were coming through mobile. Yes. They learned that 15% of people would actually pick up their phone and buy a $2,000 um, machine. And they found this out completely by accident. And of course, looking back now, it was a no brainer, but the power of mobile and the consumer behavior was just a, a shock and a surprise to them. So. As we look forward, it does remain to be seen if they can scale into a sustainable, profitable business over the mid to long term. How long will their consumers continue to pay the $39 a month month uh, membership since recently they've cut the price of their untethered subscriptions to $13 from $20 not so long ago? So mm-hmm. where basically you can bring your own device and take be part of Peloton but not actually have, have bought the, the machine from them. It's the same thing that cable companies have been doing offering the best deal to their least loyal or their newest companies so let's keep an eye on that net promoter score yeah it's
0: it's a sad state of affairs isn't it when at some point someone's going do you know what we we're doing great but we're gonna have to drive more margin what can we pros, cross sell and upsell um mm. and ultimately you might sacrifice the loyalty for driving a sort of cheaper product to a new segment of the audience. Um, and, and then of course, yes, someone will come along and burst the bubble, um, And go, do you know what? We can provide all of that for a fraction of a cost. Um, But, but, you know, sticking with them. I read a great story, though, um, that they have this amazing studio now in New York um, Mm -hmm. with celebrities, Grammy Award winning producers, making sure the shows are really hyped, you know, brilliant um, expert lighting. Yeah, they started out filming with four bikes in their second meeting room with hired lights or lights that I hired in. And, and it's, a, it's an important fact that, again, you have to start somewhere. Um, right. And that's right. a term we call bootstrapping. And from a marketing perspective, I think we can learn a lot about what works from that. Um, bootstrapping is when an entrepreneur builds a startup business from scratch with nothing but savings and hopefully income from sales coming through. And if we look at some of the lessons, we come back to our favourite subjects: that the fact that marketing is not rocket science; it's a set of principles. What has transformed is how you apply them, and so much of that is about culture. So much of that is about mindset, skills, and behaviours. And I think it's worth thinking about these and seeing what's been done consistently, Sam. Um, And a good place to look at is serial entrepreneurs, those that continuously come up with new business ideas, put them into action, and then move on to the next thing, unlike the the typical entrepreneur who may come up with a business idea and and stick and focus on that. Um, And again, research shows that most serial entrepreneurs have the same mindsets about what it does to t- make them successful. And one of the biggest factors is that the people that they choose to build around them and that you have to choose carefully when hiring and selecting the talent and encourage them to master their responsibilities. Uh, you have mm. to have a team that supports your weaknesses. We've talked about that before as well, forming a strong team and successful entrepreneurs figure out what they're good at and not so good at and recruit around them. Um, there's a guy called Jeff Elman. he's the president of Urban Bound and, and he talks about the fact that the first 10 people you hire are very likely mm. to make or break your company a powerful statement but I do get his point, he says especially if they're in a position to hire more employees be very slow to hire but be very quick to fire someone who's not a match um, and, and I think that's, that's a, um, a strong point, some other tips again shouldn't really come as a surprise but they obviously are to those uh, startups that were um, you know, uh, going out of business because they didn't understand their customer base. Choose a field or industry you know, demonstrate empathy. We've talked about that before. Uh, you need that inside knowledge and good industry connections to make a success. Involve people who believe in your business, that fandom um, episode. Mm, yep. Was that last week or week before? Let's go so quickly. No, I think- yeah exactly so keep keep track chris (laughs) yeah um but but basically hiring people who believe you are onto something good let them be the evangelist so that fandom starts from the inside out i think is important plan everything down to the last penny you know you i think uh, a Big mistake that people do is that they they get their big check, they get their three million pounds, and before you know it, they've actually spent spent their way through it. You've got to plan your business around the fact that you have less money to spend than you actually do, so that you it allows you to keep your um, keep low in terms of your spending decision, and and so many of the, the no marketing money marketing hacks, which we've again all talked about. How do you use influencers? How do you use storytelling? How do you offer free services to people that can refer businesses uh, and drive it through like that. So so definitely some lessons to be learned there, I think, Sam.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Chris. Uh, uh, there's so many of those there, that I'll, I'll save my, my commentary, I think, for summing up a bit later in the show and when we wrap up with the three things. Good, good, but uh, but I think
0: the bottom line is is that this isn't for everyone, is it? Forty percent fail when we um, when uh, they uh, they get past this point. So so at some point, Sam, I think we're going to need to to tell that part of the story. Look at look right. at failures. Um, but for now, uh, I think we're we're coming to the end. It comes it's come around
1: quickly. So do you want to do you want to give us uh, three takeaways? Yeah, absolutely, Chris. I say the first one is really just respect and seek the power of the crowd. They can help generate the fans and the support, but also they can actually help fund and invest and back the business. The second one I'd say is be powered by empathy, really be close to your consumer and the market and that inside knowledge and those connections will help make the difference and i'd say thirdly is from this be inspired to actually take action you, you just listen to us and our involvement in this space but if you have that great idea and you you have inside knowledge and you have belief go for it don't wait for someone else to take the idea or do the thing that you've seen so back yourself back your ideas and Think about making it happen yourself. Yeah, great advice. Great advice. And a next
0: episode, we're going to talk about the tightrope of scaling. That it really is a sort of a high wire act in terms of like navigating your way across and making sure that you don't sort of trip up. We're going to look at the human side, um, how failures uh, have happened and what we can learn from those and our experience of working in the sector and what we've seen from the inside of that so it's going to be a, it's going to be a good follow-up episode of think there sam
1: excellent really excited about that show chris and as always you're keeping us busy you're keeping us looking forward we've got to get to some research so until next week chris have a great week across the pond well that's it
0: for this week's show we hope you enjoyed it Find more by visiting marketingtransform.com and click on the subscribe link. If you listen via Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, or anything else, then click on follow, subscribe, or type "marketing transformed" into search. We're a new show, so please leave us a review, comment, or ask a question. We'd love to hear from you. Get in touch at marketingtransformedshow@gmail.com.